So this morning we're going to be taking a look at um, the mankind and mankind relationship. We've already talked about uh, God and mankind. And uh, just as a quick recap, what's the big takeaway from the first part of this? Before we get into relationships between each other, what's the big takeaway from the God and mankind relationship topic that we hit over the past few weeks? Yeah, Jack. Yes, absolutely. So if you want to have a good relationship with another person, it has to be within the context of a relationship with God. And as you get closer to God, then you should be able to get closer to the other person who's also getting tried to try and get close to God. What's the other important thing that we hit too? There was another one that we hit. It was very, very important. What relationship has to exist first above everything else as a priority and why? Hey, like, yes, at all, <laughs> at all. If you if you and God are not squared away, if you and Him do not have a good relationship, then every other relationship you have is not going to work out. And it really is. I mean, it is the truth because think about it. If you are not on good terms with God and you're not thinking the way that God's thinking and you don't have his thoughts in your heart and in your mind, then how are you going to be treating the people around you? Poorly. Poorly, because we are selfish people. We think only about ourselves. And so if you're not thinking about the way that God sees things and how he wants you to do them, then all you're going to be thinking about is what benefits you. And so the friends that you have, the people that you might end up dating, um, when it comes to your parents, the reason why you fight so much with your parents is because you want what you want and you're being selfish about it and you're not thinking about things from another perspective. You're only thinking about them, well, their decision is affecting me and it's limiting my ability to do something in my life. That's from a parent's perspective. Or maybe from a dating perspective, well, how do they make me feel? Because how they make me feel is what they really mean to me. No. That is unbelievably wrong. That's not how you have a biblical relationship with somebody. It's not about that at all. But people tend to focus on that. Friends, same thing. It's what, how do they benefit me? Do I have a fun time when I'm with them? And, and a lot of that is normal, and I get it. It's part of human nature. But if you're only friends with someone because of, of the good times that you have together, then you don't know what it means to be a friend. Because there are people that don't have any friends because they're just different. And they need friends, and you need to be their friend. And you're not going to want to be their friend. So if you're not thinking from a biblical perspective, then you're never going to reach out to them. They're going to be loners, and they're going to be alone. And they're going to feel like no one cares about them because no one does. And then what's their life going to be like? I mean, they'd be at a high risk of suicide, getting involved with things that they shouldn't be getting involved with, people they shouldn't be getting because they're going to look for attention somewhere. They're going to look for acceptance from someone. And so it's just going to be in a bad situation. So you've got to think about this. Relationships are more than just about you. Relationships are about other people. And until you really understand that and get that, your relationships with people are going to be just jacked up. They are. No, no offense, Jack. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. It's early. All right. So it's just not going to work out well. It's not going to work out well. We've never had a jack in here, so I've said that like tons of times And now that I have a jack. and Yeah, we haven't had a jill, but we don't say jilled up. Could. Could. If you're being politically like, correct. Yeah. 
Well, you andied that one. <laughs> all right, all right, okay. <laughs> all right, so when it comes to mankind and mankind relationships, let's go ahead and read this, and we'll stop, and we'll talk a little bit along the way, and I want to focus a little bit more on, on the back side of the page, so that's going to be how we're, how we're going to end this. All right. So after setting the context of the most important relationship being God and mankind, we need to be careful to look at every other relationship through that same context like we just talked about. Just like our great-grandfather Adam, when we lose our focus and forget our preeminent relationship with God, we will forget our purpose and risk, and risk not of, take that out, and risk creating unbiblical relationships in our life. Unbiblical relationships are created by our selfish prideful flesh and will always steal glory away from God because it's about you. It's not about God. It's about you. And so we end up stealing things away from God. Those relationships, they will destroy us, everyone around us, and any potential we may have had to give God honor and glory. And so the first one we're going to take a look at is the husband and wife, and I'll explain why here in a minute. So the husband and wife relationship. As children, the husband and wife relationship was the very first relationship we are introduced to in this life. And that's why this is so important. I mean, think about it. You guys were born, I think, right? Okay. You were born into this world, and the first relationship that you had was with your mother and father. And if you didn't have a father, at least with your mother. So a parental figure, hopefully, was in your just bringing up. It was part of who you are. You know, there there are other exceptions to that. Like, I even think of my... um, my one nephew, um, Samuel, you know, in that scenario, he was born. So it, it's probably, you know, probably one of the worst situations you can think of. His mom was addicted to drugs. And so she kept getting pregnant because she could stay on welfare if she was getting pregnant. And so she ended up having, you know, at least four boys that we know of. Um, three are actually in my brother, brother-in-law's and sister's house because they adopted them. And then now they're there legally and everything. But Samuel was there first. Samuel was born about two weeks after Lily was born, and um, the mom could not have custody because of just her her life and just drugs and everything. The court would just, they would not let her have that baby. So it ended up being taken away from her after the baby was born and put into foster care. Well, my sister ended up getting a phone call from the foster care folks and said, hey, we have a baby for you if you're ready. And they had just gotten approved, and so they got... Samuel at that point in time his name was Ronde, and anyway, well I still remember that. Uh, Ronde Daniel was his name, and so they he ended up being brought into the home, and it was about a, maybe four weeks later. So in that situation, his upbringing was immediately impacted, but thankfully, as a baby, he was brought into my sister and brother-in-law's home and in their family, and they began taking care of him, and eventually they ended up winning custody and everything got signed over. Well, the the foster agency uh, ended up calling them again and said, you know, we've got two older brothers, same mom, different dads. If we'd like to keep families together, if we can, would you want them too? Absolutely. So they, you know, prayed about it, but they're like, yep, let's do it. And so now they have three boys in less than a year, and they're all related, same mom, but different dads. But the two older boys, much different, much, much different, because they were in different foster homes. Sometimes they were together, sometimes they were separate. Major, major baggage issues that they had to work through over the years. And eventually, you know, two, three, four years down the road, there were still things that were coming out from their upbringing from the other homes that they have to deal with, and there's still things they're they're dealing with today. But with Andrew, 
their youngest, he actually was, you know, my sister and brother-in-law couldn't, they couldn't get pregnant. And so after they adopted these three boys, um, they ended up having one of their own, Andrew. And so it's crazy how that happens. It happens a lot of times in families. So now you have Andrew, who is biologically theirs. And then you have uh, Samuel. And then you have uh, Christopher and Sean, who are now older. And so, but they're all their kids. And they all call her my mom, my, my sister mom. And I just, I love it. I love seeing how it's, it's been working out in their life. But it's one of those things where it's different. Like all of them have been different. But the ones that aren't really all that different is you have Samuel, because he was born into the family, and Andrew who wasn't born into the family, but he was brought into the family as a baby. Now the issues with him now are more medical because of the mom being on drugs when he was pregnant, when he was, when she was pregnant with him and all that stuff. So you start to see some of that, but how they're working together as a family, but it was just a picture for me that I I love and, and I love them all to death. They're all great boys. It's one of those things that when you take a look at that, your environment and how you grow up and, and where you are and the parents, they have a huge influence on you, huge influence on you. And so if that picture is not right, it can have a profound impact on your life for many, many years. And I even think of my own mother. My own mother grew up in a home where, you know, her dad was an abusive, alcoholic, and would end up beating my grandmother. And, uh, you know, you got four girls in the house where he would come home and he'd be drunk and he would just be beating on her and throwing her across the room. And so eventually what ended up happening is my grandma said, I I can't do this anymore, picked up her four girls and left and decided I'm going to get as many jobs as I can and try to support my kids and raise them. And, and, but it, I mean, it affected things. It affected their life. It always does. And it's not that it's a bad thing. Here's how I look at it. Because a lot of people look at stuff like that and they think, well, why did God put me in that situation or, or vice versa, whatever. Here's how I look at it. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens, Romans eight twenty eight. Anyone know that verse? For all things work together for the good, for those that love God, for those that are his, for those that are adopted into his family. All things work together for good. No matter what happens in your life, good or bad, God is able to take it and turn it into something good. And so if you grew up in that kind of an environment, then purpose in your heart not to be that way. And understand there's going to be some things that are in your own heart and your own mind that you're going to struggle with, but just don't be that person. Because you have a free will. You don't have to fall in the footsteps of the people that have traveled before you. You don't have to. A lot of people do, but you don't have to. You can say, you know what, forget that. I want to do what God wants me to do, period. And you can be the man and woman that God wants you to be. It's all about what you want to do. But all that to say, these relationships are fundamental. And so they're the first relationships you're introduced to in in your life when you're born into this world. And so let's keep going with this one. So when lived out, when the husband and wife relationship is lived out according to God's word, this relationship has the incredible potential to display a visible picture of the gospel to the lost world. A lot of people don't get that. Like when you're dating, people are not necessarily thinking about the gospel. They're not. What are they thinking about? The other person, yep. Come on, there's got to be more. Let's be honest about it. When you're dating somebody, what are people thinking about? What are What's the couple thinking about? Are you getting married or not? Okay, maybe. A lot of them don't even think that. <laughs> yeah? 
I mean, we should be thinking that way. Because every person that you date is someone that you're potentially going to marry. You ever heard the phrase? Every date's a potential mate. You heard that one? If you haven't, now you have. Every date's a potential mate. What are they thinking about? I mean, some of you guys have dated or have been interested in dating. How that person makes you look. Okay. Yep. How that person makes you look. You guys like just too embarrassed to answer. Should I prime the pump a little bit? Give you a little bit. I did like three times. Four times, right on the board. Yes. We need multiple choice answers. No, 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 no. Open ended. I always like the essays more than the multiple choice. When people are dating, what are they thinking about in relation to each other? Am I good enough for them? Are they good enough for me? Are they prettier than me? Am I prettier than them? What are those more likes? Come on, guys, for heaven's sake, don't make me say all the answers. These are all the things Andy struggled with. (laughs) Are they prettier than me? (laughs) Come on, come on. Okay, how they make them feel. Yeah, wanting to be near to them, wanting to be close to them, wanting to touch them, wanting them to touch them. I mean, just think about that. I mean, this is something that I'm just, I'm going to be honest about this kind of stuff because I have to be. When people are dating, they're not thinking about the gospel. They're not. They need to start thinking about the gospel because when you build a house, let's just just, just make things very, very simple. When you build a house, where do you start? The roof. The roof, exactly. (laughs) No. No, you don't. You don't. You don't. You don't start with the roof at all. The roof is like one of the last things that you end up, at least the shingles, you can get on that one. But, I mean, you start on the the frame of the house. In in order to have a frame of the house, you have to have a foundation. You have to have a foundation. It's the first thing. Whenever someone breaks ground for a house, they go in, they have have an excavator, they got a backhoe, whatever they end up using, and they end up digging out what would end up being the basement. Those don't have the basement, but then they start laying the block down. And you start getting everything because if the block of the house of the basement is not right, what's going to happen to the house? It's going to fall down. Okay. Similarly, with relationships, you build relationships with people. You build them. What are you building them with? And where's your focus? Focus Relationships and their focus are oftentimes, they're fixated on the little amenities, the little things in the house that, that, that bring you comfort or bring you pleasure or make things look good. When those things don't matter at all, at all, at first, you can get to those later. The structure of the home, the position of the home, the location of the home, the foundation of the home, all that stuff is critical, absolutely critical. So in order to have a good relationship with somebody, especially when it comes to dating, if you guys even aren't on the same page spiritually, how in the world do you think that's going to work out? It ain't. It's like, you know, have you ever, have you ever tried to go camping with someone that is just not an outdoors person? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a couple times. It's just, it doesn't work. There are certain people that do not operate outdoors. 
unless they absolutely have to, but they're going to be the first ones to go if the apocalypse comes because they're just not going to make it. They're just not going to make it. So when it comes to these things in a dating relationship, in a marriage, it must be centered on the gospel. It must be centered on spiritual things. It has to be. God designed the husband and wife relationship to be a living picture of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 5, turn there really quick. I just want to show you this. Most do not think about this, but everyone must think about it. You have to. Unless you just don't want a relationship that honors God, then whatever. It doesn't matter. But Ephesians chapter 5. All right, we're going to start off in verse 22. So he begins talking to wives. He says, wives... Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. We're going to talk about that later. But he doesn't just flat out just say, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. He says, as unto the Lord. So in the same way that a wife would submit herself to Jesus Christ is the same way that she should submit herself to her husband. And that also means, and as we keep going down, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. See, there's two sides to this whole thing. There's a lot of people, especially feminists, that like to take a look at verse 22 and rip it apart and accuse it of so many things. But here's the reality behind it. A wife can safely submit herself unto her husband if 25 is happening in the life of the husband. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How has Christ loved the church? And how has he given himself for the church? unconditionally there are no conditions based upon it he did not die for the church or for people because of what they would do for him that's not how this works jesus christ didn't die because of the benefit that you would bring to his life because do you know yourself (laughs) i know myself you know how much benefits i bring to god i bring more problems than benefits to god because of my sinful nature it makes no sense why god loves me When I think about it, it baffles me. I am shocked, genuinely, that God has chosen to love me. And so he didn't die for me because of that. He didn't. So he died unconditionally. And he also died sacrificially. You know what Christ had to give up in order to die for you? He had to give up so many things. I just This is just right off the top of my head. I wasn't planning on even talking about this this morning. This is just right off the top of my head. So before he came to the earth, where was Jesus? In heaven, right hand of the throne of God. He was the person that in Genesis 1-1 where it says, God said, let there be light. He was the one that said that. He was the one that created everything. So when it comes to existence, time, matter, uh, the planets, universe, solar system, Jesus Christ is the one that made it all. He made everything. He is the rightful ruler of all creation because he has made everything. Everything was made by his own hand, by his own breath, by his own words, his own power. So he's infinite and he's holy. He has no beginning and no end. He has all power, all wisdom. He understands everything to the, to the end of everything and beyond. He knows everything about everything even before anything existed. Just chew on that one a little bit. And in that moment where he decided, I am going to become a man, he left all of that, all of that to become a baby, to become a baby, and live 
among the things that he created, as they abused him, as they beat him, as they made fun of him, as they ridiculed him, and as they did all those things to the people that he loves as well. And then, on top of that, when he died on the cross, these people that he created that were crucifying him, think about it in those terms, from that perspective, in that moment, when Jesus Christ cried out and he said, he said two things on the cross that are very important. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, which I think is absolutely amazing. But he said something else. What else did he say? He said it to God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In a moment, and it was just for a moment, just for one moment, God the Father, you could say he turned his back on Jesus, but he could not look upon Jesus Christ. Why? The sins of the whole world. God is holy. He's never been touched by sin. For the first time in all eternity, God was touched by sin. He was touched by sin. He, he bore it upon himself as if he did it himself. And God the Father could not behold his own son. Now, their relationship, how, how far back does God and Jesus' relationship go? A few days. A few days. <laughs> a few days multiplied by, like, everything. They've always, they've always had a relationship. There has never been a point in time in all eternity past where God the Father and Jesus Christ have never been in complete and perfect fellowship. They've always been on the same page about everything. They've always walked together. They've always spent time together. They've always been in agreement until that one moment. When he died for you, in that one moment, Jesus and God, they broke fellowship to purchase your your redemption and your salvation. Talk about a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. Husbands are supposed to love their wives like that. That's a big deal. That is a... Those are some big shoes to fill, fellas. Big shoes to fill. And the reason why we're, we're so intense about things here at our church and about the Bible and about you and your life is because of stuff like that. Because whether you guys like it or not, there's going to come a day where you guys are going to grow up and you're going to graduate, hopefully. And you will move on and you will meet somebody and you will become a husband. And it is a big responsibility. It is a big deal. It is a big deal to God. And you're supposed to be the picture of Jesus Christ to your wife, to your family, to the world. And the wife is supposed to be an unbelievable picture of the church and how the church should be submissive and be obedient to Jesus Christ. It's a really big deal. Because how many times have you been around people that call themselves Christians, but yet they don't live it out? Yep, that's one of the things that makes me so mad. That they don't live it out. They don't they say they love God, but then they turn around and they do everything that everybody else is doing. And it makes me so upset because that's not God. How is that being a good testimony to the lost world? It means that you really even don't love God at all. So these things are just so, so important. So important. Alright, let's keep going with this paragraph and we'll get through the rest. Alright. So, it is an incredible potential to display a visible picture of the gospel to the lost world. And we got some references in there. We mentioned Ephesians 5 and a few verses in there. To shape the hearts and minds of future generations as parents raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's big. So, once you get to the marriage part, then the responsibility of raising your kids 
to be godly, which is, it's so hard. It's, it's hard. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do in this life. And teach husbands and wives deeper truths of God's heart and his word. When the husband and wife relationship is not lived out according to God's word, it has the potential to be one of the most destructive tools in society. Satan will capitalize in this area as much as possible. And we need to be on guard. That's why the divorce rate is the way it is. That's why relationships are attacked. That's why, frankly, I believe in your guys' context and in your guys' situation, you know, your temptation to to really have ungodly relationships is is just, I mean, it's crazy. And there's there's a spiritual attack behind it. There's no doubt about that. Because if the devil can get you and can get you early and can get you to have baggage now, then the chances of you living a godly life later are significantly decreased. It's not impossible, but it's much harder. It's much harder. It's much easier to do the right thing the first time than to do the wrong things and then to go back and try to do the right things. Yeah. And like I have baggage in my life and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. But you know what it has done for me anyway? Is that there's two ways I can look at it. I can look at it as a reason to not walk with God and to not obey him because of my baggage. Or I can use it to be even more passionate about doing what's right. Yeah. And about doing the right thing. Because for me... That's one of the reasons why this study is the way it is and the way it's arranged the way it's arranged because of the baggage in my life. I've said this in years past, but this study exists because of my poor choices. Yeah, right. To jump off of your thought as well with baggage. You're, you're dating. You're cons- I've said this before, but I'm going to reiterate it. The other person that you have an interest in and say things are starting to get cultivated... And that person is getting personal with you and they're sharing about that baggage and they're opening up and that starts to affect you because you haven't maybe had that same experiences or baggage and a lot of times that baggage is something sinful in nature that became a life experience you still have an interest in that person you can't hold that baggage against them if you do it's going to cause problems and it's going to come back to mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Because we all have damaged. Something got damaged along the lines. I got saved later. My wife got saved early in life. I've got a lot more baggage from my past. And I still deal with that every day. She's a figure. Is it true? I mean, you. there's still hang-ups that come with that. But she's been merciful with me and graceful with me when I'm an idiot mm. and I still get hung up on this stuff and it's and it's it's speed bumps these speed bumps come and you just you gotta go over them and keep going but if you're gonna be that person that's gonna hold those things against the person that's of your interest you're just just know 
what you got coming mm -hmm. and it's going to be trouble yeah. and you may as well just cash that relationship in and go your separate ways because if you're not going to be merciful with that other person and forgiving of that person of your interest you're don't even go any further mm -hmm. don't go any further she could have easily wrote me off in the first few months that we were dating in the first six months but yep. she was crazy enough to take me around <laughs> That's true. It is, it is true. Crazy. A lot of grace. <laughs> a lot. Godly grace. It's a picture of God's grace. But even on that note, too, you know, one of the things we have to be careful about is that if, if we're not willing to be gracious and merciful to other people, then there's going to come a time where you're going to need it, and then you're not going to have it. Yeah. Because, um, you know, never, ever, ever think, I will never do that. Don't ever say that. Don't ever do that. Because I'm telling you, I have been in that situation, and I said that I would never, and then now I have baggage because I said I would never when I actually did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because every every one of us are capable of anything you can possibly think of at any point in time. It's just about how we deal with things. All right. Okay. So with that, and set, and we've got that in mind. Um, we need to be on guard. And then, okay, as we discussed from the first section of the series, the serpent was able to successfully usurp God's place in the life of Adam and Eve by attacking their foundation of the word of God, causing them to question, contradict, and ultimately change God's words. So the question arises, how has the fall changed the relationship of the husband and wife and their respective roles and responsibilities? Other than the things related to physically being in the garden, there's not a whole lot. All right, so their relationship has not really changed a whole lot. I'm just going to go over this really quick. So, uh, so God still has a, a few things that he expects of husbands and wives, and that is that they have partial dominion over the things of the earth. Not complete, but there is partial. And you can see that in Genesis 3 uh, after God lays out the different consequences for their actions. And even in chapter 9 when God is talking with Noah, they have partial dominion over the things of the earth. Um, God still expects them to be a good steward. So being a good steward, that's the first blank there, of the gifts of God and living in the will of God. The Lord still expects you to be a good steward of what he gives you. And he does expect you to live in the will of God. And those verses support that as well. You can look those up later. Uh, he still expects men and women to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth physically and spiritually, spiritually as well. And that's why we're so big on discipleship, because that's our way to be fruitful and multiply spiritually. And frankly speaking, there's some people that never get married, and so they don't physically reproduce, but they spiritually reproduce. And God still expects that from them, to multiply themselves spiritually. And then, lastly, having a thriving relationship with God. The Lord still expects you to have a good relationship with Him. So a lot of it has not really changed, other than just a few things here and there. So... What we're going to do, I'm going to do this because we're out of time. I'm going to go through this really quick and I just want to briefly mention it. And then um, when I teach this again, actually, no, Andy, you're going to be teaching this again. Say, yeah, 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 you're going to be teaching this on Sunday. So um, Andy's going to be teaching through the biblical responsibilities of a husband and responsibilities of a wife. So what I want to do is I just want to briefly go through this. So that way you're at least um, introduced to them because... These are things, and you might be thinking, okay, I'm not a husband, I'm not a wife, why do I need to know this now? Okay, you need to know this now because um, before you, you know, do anything, you have to have practice. So you can't just get married and then expect, okay, now I'm going to become a godly husband. What are, what are my responsibilities again? 
It doesn't work like that. You have got to start now. When it comes to your relationships with people, when it comes to just everything, relationships with your parents, you can start practicing these things now. There's some things you're not going to be able to do completely because it's just practice, but you need to start getting these things in your heart and in your life now, or else you're going to learn the hard way when you get to the point where you are married. It's better for you to know your responsibilities and start practicing them now than to get there and have no idea what you're doing and make some serious mistakes. All right, so first of all, I'm just going to go through these seven ones for the husband. He is supposed to love his wife. We've already talked about that in great detail this morning. Unconditionally and sacrificially as Christ, he's supposed to know his wife. And that means that he learns her. He studies her. He knows everything about her. He tries to know her inside and out. Now, you as a guy, you will never know your wife ever completely, totally. It's just impossible. I think it's like biologically impossible. Guys will never understand women in their entirety. However, that is not an excuse to not know them and to not understand them. One of the things that, that God has done, in, in my opinion, anyway, in creating man and woman is that he has made them so different that they almost cannot understand one another, but yet being able to, to keep learning and to keep growing and to keep understanding one another as you grow and walk together. Because the reason why men and women are different is that God... He has the responsibilities for the man. He gave the woman under the man as the help me, but they need each other. We've already spent some talking about that. The guy cannot function properly and cannot fulfill the will of God in his life without the woman and vice versa. So they need one another. So they can't think the same. They shouldn't be able to think the same. They need to think differently because they complement one another. Now, people don't like that, and that's where divorce ends up happening, and that's where they, they end up having fights that they don't really work through. But God has made them opposing. Like, you can't have a magnet without a, with a, a positive or negative end. You can't. It's just not going to work. It's not going to work. And so you're not going to be able to do anything that God wants you to do without having both in your life. And so as a guy, a guy should never, ever, 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 ever quit learning his wife, studying her, trying to understand her, trying to know how she feels about things. It's important that he knows and he doesn't quit like a lot of guys quit, and that's why their relationship fails, and it's their fault. Number three, to dwell with his wife, to be with her comfortably, to be able to be with her, and that there's no division between you because you're able to dwell with each other comfortably. To honor his wife, to place a very high value on her. She matters. She's the most important possession that he has in this life. He should treat her with great, great care. To provide for his wife, to provide for his family, or to provide security. And so that way she feels safe and, and taken care of. And there are times that, as guys, this is built into us. And, and there are times that I know personally where I've not been able to do this. And then I feel very insecure about it. Because I, I know this is my responsibility. And it's built inside of me to try to take care of my family. Number six, to teach his wife. To be the spiritual leader in every way. To constantly be teaching his wife as, as he learns things from God. And, uh, and because they need each other in their life. And to protect his wife. To do what is right even when it's not popular. Even if she completely disagrees but you know it's the right decision to make because you're willing to protect your whole family. God has entrusted you with her life so you must guard it. So this is very, very important stuff that Andy will be going over next week. And then the four for the wife. And just because you have four doesn't mean you have any less, that's for sure. Um, submit to her husband as unto the Lord in sincere desire as the church unto Christ in everything. To love her husband, to know him and meet his needs to reverence her, hum her husband, make him the most important man in the world, treat him as Christ. And really it comes down to respect. Um, if a wife doesn't respect her husband, 
then there's going to be some major, major problems there. And then um, number four, help her husband. God set him as the leader, and God is always working on him to be a better leader. And so she needs to try to help her husband to be the best leader because that should be in her heart. She wants to have a good home. She wants to have a good relationship with her husband. And so why not help your husband be a better leader? I mean, if you're, if you're not going to do that, you're going to do what Proverbs says where it says a foolish woman, woman plucketh down her house. That's what they do. Foolish women, they tear apart their houses. And they do that by not supporting their husbands and not building them up and not helping them be a better leader. So anyway, so that's that. And then we got some examples of Ahab and Jezebel and Aquila and Priscilla of good, positive, and negative examples of uh, those responsibilities. So um, Andy's going to go over those next week. If, he's, if he has enough time, he'll hit Ahab and Jezebel and Aquila and Priscilla. If not, then you can look at those on your own um, during the week next week. All right, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, just these things we talked about today. And I pray that these things would really matter to us because they matter to you. Um, you want our lives to be full and rich, and that means that we need to look at things different than how we normally look at them. This world does not have the same values that you have. Uh, it does, certainly does not have your mind, and so we need to just rethink some things on this, and I pray that as we look at our relationships with um, our friends, our parents, uh, those that we might be interested in with dating and having a future with, we'd seriously consider the things that you've laid out uh, for us here that we talked about today. Because at the end of the day, God, it's just, it should be in our hearts to honor you and to glorify you, which means we need to do things your way and not our way. And so God, we thank you. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you so much for your patience and your mercy and your grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.